Carly used to be the store manager at Female Foot Locker, right? I think I remember that. And she fell in love with these Nike Tailwinds, right? And they're like white and black, and she wants another pair of them. So I'm like, all right, that, that'll be a pretty bitchin' Christmas present. Right. So I get looking. They were fucking limited edition, like six fucking years ago. <clears throat> so I finally fucking track them down on this one fucking website, go through, order the fucking shoes, pay through PayPal, hit return to merchant, and it takes me to the, the site's homepage instead of the fucking checkout. So I have no idea if the order went through or not, but they absolutely got my payment. They never sent me- I was going to say, so you they, don't know the process, but they do have your money. Yeah, they, they never sent me an order confirmation or anything. So I send them an email along with, you know, all the relevant information, including like, you know, the PayPal receipt and all this other shit. And I'm like, just want to make sure that you got the order. Never hear a fucking word from them. So now I'm going through like the whole PayPal process to get just my fucking you, that's money a, That's a fucking headache. Ugh. I mean, just a gigantic pain in the fucking ass. All because she wanted some limited edition shoes from like five years ago. Pain in the ass. Well, you tried. That's the Christmas spirit. Well, not only did I try, I actually tracked down another pair of them and ordered them from Lithuania. Because God bless fucking eBay. Oh god, that's good. It doesn't help that she wears a size seven boy's shoe. Is that like weird or something? I a, a size seven youth men's shoe? It's like a, a I don't know. It's like a large boy's limited edition five years ago. Like it's just what a fucking pain in my goddamn ass. I don't know. I know it's cold outside. That's all I know. <laughs> it was one of those things where you finally like find what they're looking for. And you're like, you know what? I'm ordering something for myself too. Just because I deserve it after going through this entire process. And so I did. Let's do it. And so I did. So now I wait for my Hiromu when he was in Mexico mask. Ugh. Now that's quality. Goddamn right. Kamatachi, fuck the world. Hit the open. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. This is Hitting the Marks, a podcast that's got topics for days, and it'll leave you in a haze. Hosted by two mother assholes that like to talk about everything. News, sports, politics, pro wrestling, people jumping off buildings, taco shops, top ten lists, and more. It's got one guy who likes to get high on a lot of grass, and the other guy who got shot in the ass. And now, here's your host of the Hitting the Marks podcast, Jargo and R. B. V. 
Thanks, MSG. Hello, ladies and gaijin, and welcome to an all-new edition of the Hitting the Marks podcast, presented by the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com, and hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. I'm the aforementioned Jargo. I will be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He's the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. Hey, Pepto, Dayquil, in the morning after pill. Been doing the job for the RBV since 03. Feeling better since uh, yesterday, which was our scheduled record, Jargo. So we had to push it back a day, but uh, I'm feeling great now. Back up in the saddle again, ready to ride with another episode of the Hitting the Marks podcast. You know, I went through and I wrote this entire show on Sunday, and then you you weren't feeling well on Monday, so I was like, oh, we could just push the record for like 24 hours. Nothing big's gonna happen. And then the shit hit the fan in Washington, D.C. today. We got the state of Texas suing the states of Pennsylvania and Georgia and Washington. And now they have jurisdiction when things go to the Supreme Court. And Rudy Giuliani is out and Ted Cruz is in. And we got Justice Alito waiting for Pennsylvania to get their shit together. And it's just like, I ain't rewriting this fucking show. We'll talk about it next week. Well, I know. I thought we'd just kind of filter it in here. I mean, I know we got war games on the run. We just didn't know which type of war games it was going to be. I uh, didn't know it was going to be the the left, the right, or it was going to be over in NXT. But yeah, hey, we've got breaking news. We've got to kind of call it on the fly here from the world of sports. So much kind of breaking down. So this is going to be, a, it should be a fun run in one hell of a show. But of course, we got to start off. With the weekend update, Huckleberry, I got all kinds of shit I did this weekend. What's your weekend update? What'd you do this weekend, man? Well, you know, for me, it was kicking it back, taking it easy, catching up with some old friends. Uh, really just a whole lot of hanging out, but hey, hitting that trail out on that uh, that foodie trail. Got a ton of great pictures there for uh, RBV Fitness. I think the best was sent to me by a, a good friend here at the show. He's going to be joining us here in a couple of weeks as we gear up for the holidays. Chef Justin Watson. And he went out and found this. Uh, it's at Sunnyside Grill. It's in. It's just like this little mom pop, kind of off the the beaten path, little outskirts area of Cincinnati. It, it, this breakfast dish that he that he's got here. I don't even know how really to describe this. It, it truly is everything but the kitchen sink. It might have been buried in there somewhere. Uh, from what I can gather, you know, you got your scrambled eggs, you got your peppers, your onions, your mushrooms, all of that there, the hash browns, the, the eggs, all topped on gravy. This bad, bad this bad boy comes out served on an actual school lunch tray. No, they just don't put the plates on there and carry it out to you. That is your plate. I mean, we are talking about the trash can of breakfast dishes. So we're going to have that up. Uh, you can catch me on social media with that at the Real RBV. That's going to be coming at you this week. We've got some other delicious eats, some uh, deli style sandwiches, some burgers, some appetizers. A, a lot to be had there with RBV Fitness this weekend. You know, when I go to a, a new restaurant, especially if it comes to breakfast, all right, because Bre- breakfast food is one of my favorite things on the face of the freaking planet. But when I walk into a new restaurant, before I even walk in the door, especially if it's for breakfast, I already know what I'm eating. Like, do you have like that go-to dish when it comes to breakfast food? You know, I'm, I'm a prepper. If I'm going somewhere, even if it's a place that I've been to, you know, repeatedly or maybe just a handful of times, I'm checking out that menu. I'm studying that bad boy because I, I always want to sample something a little bit different. And, I, I, you know, grow that flavor palette there. So I'm always looking at some different angles there. But of course, I mean, we all got, you know, our certain places, our certain staples. I'm going to guess that yours is pretty bland, Yarg. I'm going to say a couple eggs. Some toast. Biscuits and gravy. 
That's that's always my default go-to when I go into a new restaurant and I'm having breakfast. I always go for biscuits and gravy. Yeah, I, I will say this. I, I will usually get a side of gravy. I uh, absolutely love that. A side of gravy, and I'll use that as my dipper or, you know, a little topper on the things there. But, yeah, usually uh, eggs, big fan of omelets. I like them all different ways. I like them loaded up, just like my pizza. I like a supreme omelet. I want that thing loaded with the peppers, the, the onions, the mushrooms. Give me the ham, uh, a Philly cheesesteak omelet, whatever the case might be, a Western omelet. Uh, egg scrambled, if I go that route there. Bacon limp. Got to get the uh, the breakfast potatoes and however they serve those there. Obviously, and then you, you get the gravy with it. Over the course of this weekend, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you will notice that I didn't do a weekly top 10 this week on Friday because Friday was the second anniversary of my grandfather's passing. And you, you, you bringing all this up reminds me of this great grandpa story. And I, I have absolutely adopted this and I suggest this as a word of advice for anybody who does any kind of traveling and is eating at new restaurants on a very regular basis. When you first go in and they say, can I get you anything? You ask for a cup of coffee. If the restaurant brings you said cup of coffee and the coffee is not worth drinking, there ain't anything on that fucking menu that you want to eat. Just start with a cup of coffee. Huckleberry, I have used this technique over the course of the years, and it's not very often that I've gotten up and left a restaurant. But if you can't make me a good cup of coffee, I sure as hell don't trust you to make me anything else. See, like that wouldn't work for me there. I'm not a coffee guy. If I'm going to hit up the breakfast, you know, getting the the breakfast menu there, I'm um, OJ with a side of a glass of ice. Now, you would be surprised how often they mess that up. Or, you know, they forget one or they have ice water or they combine them for you already. Because I don't know, whatever it is, OJ is damn pricey. So I mean, you, would be able, you would be able to balance that out yourself. I don't think I've ever drank orange juice with ice. Oh, it's delicious. Absolutely incredible. And, it, you know, it's going to prolong the life of your orange juice because you usually don't get a free refill on those. Oh, yeah, that's and, true. And, and it is quite pricey there. It's what you're talking about, Grandpa's. When your grandpa would go out, the, you know, he comes from that generation, those hearty appetites, you know, uh, more meat, more better. Uh, is what, you know, that kind of have. Was your, was your grandpa a fan of like buffets and that? Um, he was back in the day. He was back in the day. Um, grandma passed away. Let's see. It'll be. 22 years ago next year uh grandpa's been gone for two years so in the 20 years after grandma passed um grandpa lost probably about 60 pounds because grandma was like i i am convinced she was the world's greatest cook not named gordon ramsay yeah you know like nobody makes better food than your grandmother I, i don't care who you are your grandma probably makes the best food on the face of the fucking planet you know and boy, did Grandpa eat the shit out of it. But like it, the buffet thing, uh, you guys got bishops out there, right? Uh, no. I, I, most of the buffets, really like the big chains that we've had here throughout the years. Obviously, we had the, the Ponderosa was here for quite a while. Uh, we just had that last one just close in the last couple of years here. Golden Corrals. Now, they are officially, I know they they're still have a few national. We've got a couple of those. Open, in the, they, 
in the greater they're, area. They're actually one of the companies to watch that are in the endangered list. Uh, they are they are going to be leaving the southern Ohio area. So you know, back then, well, now just with all the COVID restrictions, you're going to see buffets is a, is a thing of the past here. Yeah, and it's just with the operation, it's just going to be impossible for that business model to keep up. But yeah, I mean, back there for for my great grandfather who. He was about in that same age group there with your grandfather. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, for them, it was that big hearty meal, you know. Yeah. Like you said, you know, they, they never used everything, you know, cooked in the iron skillets. You know, they were using lard and tons of butter and everything oh, yeah. for to add all that flavor there. And, you know, they came through some tougher times. So they were they were penny pinchers. It was, you know, flat out called a certain times cheap asses. I know my my great grandfather, he loved the one. It was called Dave's Buffet. The story I want to share there when I just want to it cracks me up I, every time I hear it and tell it. But anyway, this cheap ass. It, it's a $5 buffet. And they got some nice stuff here. It was good. It was loaded. And they had some of the absolute best fried chicken that you were going to get. And they kept it rotated. They, it came out piping hot. Old uh, great-grandpa Vic, his cheap ass. They had, they had to-go boxes. So he didn't want to pay the extra $5 per pound or whatever that case might be. Because, you know, he just spent an hour and a half there eating. Why was he going to pay again? Well, he goes over and they bring out this this piping hot fried chicken and it goes right under the, the lamp there and it's sitting in the in the buffet line. So he goes over and grabs a couple of pieces and he thinks he's going to wrap these things up and put them in his pocket. Well, he ended up actually burning his, his scrotum. Oh, my God. <laughs> third, third degree burns. Uh, I had to take a trip to the emergency room there. Ooh, explain that one to the to the attending doctor. My God. Well, you you got Darby Allen, you know, uh, sex sent me to the R, you know, uh, fried chicken sent me to the ER. Oh, I mean, that, that, that could be a scene there for the, uh, the upcoming Colonel Sanders lifetime mention it. uh, Love and subduction, uh, thriller that's coming out here. You know what? 2020 has been such a shit year that I will take Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. Like, I feel like I deserve Mario Lopez is Colonel Sanders in a lifetime movie about seduction at this point in 2020. Like I fucking deserve it. Have you, have you actually watched the trailer? for? Yes, I did. And I laughed hysterically. Oh, it's great. Absolutely magnificent. I tell you what, I'm going to watch it. Are you going to watch it? Well, we had a conversation similar to this last week. We're talking about the sci-fi movies and what we wanted to see them twist and turn into that next blockbuster. How this is a can't miss. Oh, got this to. is going to hit on all cylinders here. Got to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just the, the imagery of him as the Colonel and, it, and the tightest white shirt that you've ever seen with the little bow tie. Just fucking that hilarious. is a, a selling point inside of itself. And, and now I'm just trying to think, you know, back to the, the premise of this thing. It looks like it's set in a modern time, uh, maybe some Southern sophisticates, uh, sophisticates. And he's in, you know, the, uh, the well-off the dude daughter falls in love with the lowly cook who has the secret recipe that's going to change the world. Tremendous. You know, I, I was going to put it on the run this week, and then I was like, no, we got to do like this whole thing about KFC in Japan at Christmas. And so I was going to save it to kind of tie it into all that. But so consider that a teaser for here in a couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about Kentucky Fried Chicken in Japan. Yeah, we're reaching for fucking topics. God bless Joe Biden. Um. So, Huckleberry, I got to tell you about my weekend, and it was so funny because when I sent you this run, you were like, what the fuck is this about? And I was like, don't worry about it, man. It, it, it doesn't necessarily apply to you. But 
want to speak to all my uh, pothead friends out there. Got some new shit this weekend. It's called That Flavor. That's what it's called. That's the name of the strain. And so I, I, I went and I, I pulled all the all the information that I look at when it comes to, you know, getting a new kind of uh, herbal medication. And I thought that I would share with everybody, you know, maybe they're looking for a new flavor. Maybe it's that flavor. The flavor combines oily, thick, rich, fruity taste of Romulan with the cherry goodness of Space Queen, which is one of my favorite strains, so I'm not surprised that I like that flavor. It's a 4060 Sativa Indica hybrid that provides a heavy yield that was included in High Times Top 10 of 2008, so evidently it just took, you know, like 12 years for that flavor to actually make its way to Iowa, um, all the way from Colorado, because that's where they do the Cannabis Cup. Uh, 63% of patients report a euphoria feeling 58 report feeling uplifted 43% relaxed 48% said that it reduced stress and 24% anxiety that's right we're getting into the medical side of cannabis here on the hitting the marks podcast huckleberry i know that you're not a big smoker but on occasion you know i'll be like i'll get a message and rick will just be like i am stoned out of my freaking mind and i'm like good for you huckleberry way to come to the dark side when you I when you smoke, I am assuming that it is just, hey, Johnny had this, and we were like, hey, let's smoke it. And you don't even pay any attention to what it is that you're actually smoking. Uh, no, absolutely. As you just kind of you know went through all the fine details there of, of what you were able to partake in this weekend, I I need Rosetta Stone. I have no idea what you said. You, you could have been speaking Japanese and not off the KFC menu. I had no idea what you talked about. Yeah, it, it is what I. It happens to be if if I do partake in the uh, the party favors, it's just I happen to be at the the right time at the right location. Puff puff pass, you know, on your way. Now I, I do it if they were like you get into. I know you got all these exotic flavors and all of these styles. Are, are there any that mimic? Like, is there a Big Mac or a, a McRib flavor? Well, there are certainly some strains out there that will help you with RBV fitness. I mean, there are some strains that, man, you just, you hit it like a couple of one hitters and all of a sudden you're just like, I need Doritos and a cheesecake, like right now. This is not one of those strains. That flavor, check it out. Usually it ends up with me, it it usually ends up with about a 10 sack of White Castles, a sack of cheese sticks, and a sack of uh, chicken rings from White Castle. You know, if if people want to hear more stuff like this, maybe we can can use our connections. We can get Sean Morley to come on the show and talk about, you know, the medical benefits of uh, cannabis because we do have those connections. And Val Venus has turned into, like, the largest weed advocate on the face of the planet, man. Do you ever follow that guy? Absolutely all over the place here. And I, I guess we can't really stooge anything off right now. He uh, knows his shit. <laughs> he knows his shit. That's all I'm saying. Um, so then, you know, as is customary that I do on, you know, uh, a paycheck weekend after I just got a new bag, sit down to watch me some ancient aliens. Yeah. Uh, Huckleberry, we got to get we got to get the conspiracy horseman on this. Evidently, like, do you know anything about Tibet? I really can't say that I do. I, I am a fan of the show. 
Uh, but I don't get what tree you're barking up here. Tibet, like, it's just like this little country that's, you know, kind of off in the middle of nowhere. It has this huge elevation, and supposedly that's where the gods actually came down. When they came down, they went to Tibet. I was going to say, hasn't uh, isn't Indiana Jones been there a couple times? I think so. I think so. There's this place, it's called Mount Kalish, right? It's 21,778 feet in elevation. So, I mean, it's not quite Everest, but it's pretty bitchin'. And supposedly this Shambhala, which is like, you know, heaven, like their, their idea of heaven and where like heaven and the gods or the aliens, as the case may be, have, you know, decided that they're going to intercourse. And it's like this test world for aliens and humans in their crossover. Supposedly the entrance to it, Mount Kalish. And there's like, you know, people that go there every year. There's like an annual migration. Some of them die trying to scale this mountain. But it's like this huge giant festival in Tibet. Crazy stuff going on in Tibet, man. Everybody should watch Ancient Aliens. Like every week. That's destination viewing for me. Especially if it's a payday week and I just got a new bag. But the beautiful thing is on Friday, no matter what time you're awake, no matter what time you have available to watch television, it is on. Right? There is that. There is that. So then I come out of Tibet and I'm like, all right, let's go check out this new episode of Mandalorian that everybody's fucking ranting and raving about. And all of a sudden, fucking Boba Fett shows up. Boba fucking Fett. Dude, we thought that he died in the Scarlock pit, but no, no. Boba Fett is alive and well. He wants his fucking armor back. He's pissed off and he's going to kill all you motherfuckers. Are you watching the Mandalorian at all, Huckleberry? I, you don't have to be a Star Wars fan to watch this show. Uh, again, you know, from uh, your your weed talk to oh, Huckleberry to the Mandalorian, I, I am completely lost here. Oh, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Let me tell you, that was my Friday night. Nothing better than a new bag of weed, ancient aliens, and the Mandalorian with Boba Fett killing motherfuckers. That is like my ideal way to kick off the weekend. You've got to remember of, of all the movies, how many of them there are now? Like nine, 12, whatever the case. Well, might be. it depends I, if you want to get into like, you know, the side content, you know, like rogue one or the solo movie. I did see, I did see that there was a little bit of an uproar where a lot of the fans want maybe a set of the, of three to be removed from the canon. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I don't. I don't, I I don't know the story. I, 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 I kind of saw that passing, but just to get to remind everyone, I'm one of those weirdo, rare weirdo individuals that has never seen a Star Wars movie from start to end. I, I've seen bits and pieces. I, I get some of the story, especially early on. I guess what from four, five, and six. Yeah, the, the, the true original ones. I know the story that's going on there. You know, really, even outside of that, I don't think I've even seen a scene from the more recent movies. I tell you what, was it you that sent me that macho man, star Wars crossover? That shit was epic. That was like five minutes of my life that I'll never get back that I've repeated like five, six times. That's great. Pretty much my complete understanding from star Wars comes from the uh, family guy or the robot chicken crossovers. Something, something dark side is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, over the course of the weekend, Huckleberry, we, we got to talk a little bit of wrestling stuff. We lost Pat Patterson over the course of the weekend. Um, Pat Patterson, arguably 
one of the most, I don't know, top two, three influential people in the world of professional wrestling over the course of the last 50, 60 years from his career in San Francisco um, all the way through even like most recently being basically Vince McMahon's right-hand man. I sincerely wonder how Vince McMahon is taking the passing of Pat Patterson because Pat was very much like a father figure to Vince. Um, Rick, anything that you wanted to talk about when it comes to Pat Patterson, his influence? I mean, hell, he invented the fucking Royal Rumble. It's like your favorite match ever. I was going to say, you know, most notably my favorite gimmick match. And really what you can really thank Mr. Patterson for here is the, the ultimate evolution of the battle Royal gimmick is to introduce the rumble style, which is kind of funny going back as you talk about the relationship there with, with Vince and Patterson. Really? I don't really, I guess you could put, you know, that, that father son sort of dynamic in there, but I'm truly just best friends. I mean, they weren't really that far apart in, in their years, but what you had there, and, and maybe so, maybe without argument, that Patterson was one of the individuals that for all these years actually could get the Vince, that could get him to understand, you know, these are certain ways that we're going to do our presentation. But on the flip side of that, where you had those those purists, the guys that were, you know, just so fundamentally sound in what professional wrestling should be, that, could, that absolutely could not see or understand Vince McMahon's vision of sports right. entertainment. Where, where Patterson seemed to be able to understand that and, p- and pick that up. Well, and the other thing that I think is hilarious, if, if people actually go back and watch his career, Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens, when they were together, they were like the original Young Bucks, man. They were going out there and just burying the entire card because of the stuff that they could do and the, the, the actual wrestlers, the, the guys that had been around for, you know, 20, 30 years. They freaking hated Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens. They were like the original Young Bucks. It's just insane. And, but I feel like Pat always related even to the younger wrestlers because of that. Like, I know you want to go out there. I know you want to get your shit in. You want to make the people go banana, but you can't because so-and-so is doing this later in the show. Like he was that guy. Well, absolutely. And that's, you know, it was really, was a product of the background. He came in as such a, a true student of the game where, you know, out there on the West coast, they, they were so detailed and everything had to make sense. You know, why is this individual acting in this fashion where it just wasn't a spotlight on a certain situation? Everybody had a little role to play and what you contributed had to make sense towards that greater good. And through that learning, Patterson was able to really step back and and put together these matches like this. Heard a few individuals talking about that, that even with, you know, those those main event talents like a Shawn Michaels, a Bret Hart, an Undertaker, a Stone Cold so many unique personalities, diverse personalities, they still trusted Pat to go in there and that he would understand. And maybe in certain cases, he would have a better understanding of what their persona, how their character would react at certain times, the speed that they should be moving at to generate a certain reaction from the audience. And and that's really what he brought, what he brought to the table. You, You talk about how incredibly difficult it is just to put together a single wrestling match. And then put together a card and then go look at putting together a 30-man Royal Rumble. I mean, how many yeah. mini matches you have going on just inside of that one bell to bell. And he that's what he was really recognized as, as the master of being able to put together those 
those complex matches to be able to come up with these finishes. And I think you, you knocked it out of the park, Jargo, with, you know, when you introduced the topic here. I mean, he's got to be one of the greatest contributors to professional wrestling in the last 50 years. And what's so incredible about it is that he really won't, re- you know, re- receive you know, what he has no. earned there, no. that credit, because he did it all behind the scenes there. And, and truly what he meant to so many individuals. It, it, I mean, it is very rare right now to, to hear anyone speak ill of him. And there are some demons in, in the cause there. We don't really want to hit on those. But even those are coming to him and say, you know, it was everything always, you know, peachy and clean. No, it's not. But it's so many of them that were so close to him just believe that he was kind of lumped into certain situations just because of a sexual orientation. Well, and, and that's one of the things I actually wanted to bring up with the Ring Boy scandal. If you actually go back and you look at the documentation for that, Patterson was never named inside of that suit everybody just assumes that he was patterson did leave the company for an elongated period of time during the ring boy scandal but he was never actually implicated in any of that at the time as the case was ongoing yeah absolutely and you know when you're the boss's right hand man yeah and really even go back you know really go back five ten years you know, people being kind of out, you know, outward and upfront about their sexuality, it was very uncomfortable for certain individuals. Yeah. So even just knowing someone that they might be gay, you know, I'm sure you've encounters with friends or, you know, people that you just encounter on a on a regular basis or whatever it might be, that they would take like somebody was like making a sexual advance for them towards them just because they thought or knew that they were, you know, attracted to the same sex. Yeah. And that might not have been the case. And then you've, you've had, you know, we're talking about where he wasn't actually listed in some of these scenarios, but you did have well established names that spoke out and say, oh, yeah, you know, it, I, I kind of walked in on this or, you know, I, I'll vouch that this actually happened. There's big names. I don't want to throw any of those names under the bus, but if you go look at the timing of when they made those statements, there was extremely bad blood with them in the company. Yeah. And it was an easy way to take a shot at what was going on. You know, I heard a story that I, I'm not sure that I ever necessarily realized. We know WCW ran Clash of the Champions on regular cable television opposite of Survivor Series. Like, we all know that story, right? Did you know that WWE did the same goddamn thing to WCW for WCW's first pay-per-view? It was Bunkhouse Stampede. And opposite of it, they ran the very first Royal Rumble just to be dicks because WCW had done it to them with Survivor Series. Well, it's when, you know, you're back and forth. You're just positioning for those rights for closed circuit pay-per-view and, and try to cut one another off. I believe that they actually ran that thing. Was it on MTV? Yep. And it was called the uh, Wrestling Royale. Yep. They gave a, they gave away a Rolls Royce, a Rolls Royce during that uh, during that event. A twenty-man event. Hexall, Hexall goes over in that, I believe, the first true Rumble winner. It, it, that very well may be. That very well may be. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever actually seen it. You know, it's kind of crazy. You know, the other thing that Pat should get credit for that he doesn't get nearly enough credit for is um, discovering talent, and in, in particular, 
this one kid that his friend Rocky Johnson, you know, who they, they were in San Francisco together for all those years, when he Rocky thought that, you know, maybe his kid actually had something after he had went through the training and he took Pat a videotape and the next thing you know, a very young Dwayne Johnson is on an airplane to Memphis. Um, Pat Patterson, absolutely, when it comes to The Rock, there's a lot of people that get a lot of credit for the things that Dwayne did over the course of his pro wrestling career. Pat Patterson's the one that nobody ever talks about. You know the reason Shawn Michaels versus The Rock never happened? Pat Patterson. He protected him from all that shit. You never hear about the whole click thing with The Rock. You know why? Because Pat made goddamn sure that didn't happen. Well, I think, you know, he knew that that bad, that bad blood, again, was brewing there because of some, you know, some ill feelings that The Rock had had towards Shawn Michaels. And, I think, you know, the, it, I think it really roots back to maybe some mistreatment or a cocky attitude that Sean had demonstrated towards the rocks mom at some point. It just, doesn't that sound like, so like sixth grade, you know, like, come on. It's so funny to me. RIP Pat Patterson. Hey, welcome to the world of professional wrestling. <laughs> no shit. Right. HBK tried to bang everybody's mom. Huckleberry, let's talk about war games a little bit. I don't think he was trying to bang her, but... Well, well, it's Shawn Michaels. He, he was trying to bang everybody at that time. Let's talk a little bit about war games from over the weekend. What did you think of the show, man? I was incredibly underwhelmed. I've seen some people like defending this thing left and right, and I, I realize I'm not watching NXT on a regular ba- like week-to-week basis at this point, but it, it did absolutely nothing for me. Yeah, I've seen some individuals, you know, defending this thing or, you know, trying to support it as like the like pro wrestling is back. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. They're like over the top excited about this thing. It, to me, it was it was a fine card. Uh, there was some things I was really looking forward to going into it. Some of the things, you know, that were more or less filler. But I, you know, I was looking forward to what they could bring inside the ring. I do want to say, it, you know, we get down on WWE so often. But again, one of the things that they are absolutely just so masterful in, truly one of the best in all of sport and entertainment is when it comes to their production. Uh, the packages that they had put together for this thing, absolutely incredible. I mean, if you were coming into this thing blind, you're just checking out NXT, you're absolutely hyped. You you feel and understand the intensity that goes in when you step inside of this War Games match. You, you could feel the struggle almost hatred between these two teams here, just through the magic of their production. I do want to credit them. I thought in the War Games matches, they did a great job in the build towards both of these things. I think more so in the men's, really felt in the way even that the matches played out inside the men's, you really felt that there was a true rivalry, a hatred, that the brutality, the violence, they wanted to rip into one another. You got a little bit of that in the build with the women's. At times, though, it just felt like they were working on the fly, throwing things together. And then inside the women's match, it just became about spots. Yeah. And I think, again, what and what's going to take away from, you know, it took away from last year's war games. It took away from this year's. And I have a feeling it's going to take away going into the future is we don't necessarily need two of these gimmick matches on the same show. I couldn't believe they opened with the women's war games match. I thought that would be the main event. I thought that was the better of the two matches as far as the build goes. At least there was like 
a real like personal right thing. The whole thing with Undisputed Era and McAfee's douchebags, I guess, is is what they're called. For the brand, baby. Yeah, but it, it's just... Kings of NXT. See, I was, see, I was the complete opposite. I was way more invested in what the men had going on. Really? But, I mean, essentially, you have got... You've got just... Shotzi and Candice where it stems in the women's, and it's over a toy tank. And, and I know they, they were taking their shots back and forth, but, man, I, I really felt, you know, it was truly personal between McAfee and Cole and then branched off with the entire Undisputed Era. Has their time come? What is, you know, what's going on with the group here? Can they overcome this thing? And I and I loved how McAfee put his team together. He had people with ties that have a true hatred towards the Undisputed Era, but he came right out and said, hey, this team was put together by money, lots and lots of cold, hard cash. And he came in as that, that you know, that over-the-top, you know, just super cocky jock that's coming from this bigger world. You know, he's been to the top of the mountain in the world of sports. He's got the moolah to back it up. You know, I, I, I really bought into that. Inside inside the match, I said it, it just it felt so much more raw and, and real that they really just wanted to rip through one another. McAfee is getting to borderline Andy Kaufman territory with me. Like when Andy Kaufman was really, really good, he was really, really good. But when Andy Kaufman was not good and didn't necessarily have a whole lot to say and was just kind of going through the routine, didn't do a whole lot for me. And that's kind of how I felt with this whole Pat McAfee thing. I, I don't like the whole Pat McAfee thing either. I, I'm sorry. I don't. I see a whole lot of people like singing his praises and shit. And I'm just like, no. No, he's not that fucking good. Why? Why? Because I'm abs- I'm on the other side of this one too. I- I'm he's one Lacey people- Evans. He is the male version of Lacey Evans. He goes out there, he hits all of his planned choreographed spots, and the rest of the time he kind of walks around like he has absolutely no idea what is going on. He is literally everything I complained about with Lacey Evans no, for it, like it, two no, years. It, here is your difference there. Lacey Evans spent years, day in, day out, training at the Performance Center. You're talking about yep. Pat McAfee, who had a couple weeks training with Rip Rogers. Yep. That goes out there that knows how that less is more inside of these things. That's why he's aligning. He's, he's in there with, you've got seven other just incredibly fine-tuned professional wrestlers that can go give you anything that you want out of them. If you want them to go down there and, and stick to the fundamentals, most of them can give it to you. If, if you need those high spots, that's fine. They'll give it to you. That's not the role he needs to play. He's bringing that spotlight in to me and in, in his deliveries. If they're giving him bullet points, if they're scripting him out, whatever that case might be, he is absolutely fire in his delivery. Uh, to me, he's one of the hottest things in that company right now. Oh, I now, think he's what, just the shits. I think the case is going to be, and I do like how you bring this up here, what is next for him? What is the direction for him? Eventually, you got some some things that you need to wrap up here to kind of just put you know just just put the bow on this program that's going on here. Why? Why? How many times has Undisputed Era got to beat up Pat McAfee? But, no, that's what I'm saying. Just do something to just kind of tie it up instead of you know just completely take. Maybe it just goes away for a little bit. But you know, but I, I even want to see some conflict inside of do it for the brand, the Kings of NXT. I think ultimately you need to find, you got to find that direction for McAfee. He is one of the most entertaining, charismatic. I think he is helping grow their audience slowly but surely. 
Uh, I think you want to keep moving in that direction. Hey, you got to love him going on his own show and still continuing to sell that. Got the neck brace on. He gets that. He knows how to use that crossover appeal, that crossover promotion that's going to grow your brands and grow your audience. Ultimately coming. Here's what I would do with Pat McAfee. All right. Because I agree with part of what you said there. I would just make him a manager. Just have him be like Pete Dunn's mouthpiece. Right. Like I'm absolutely fine with that. And, you know, every once in a while he takes a big bump and in and, and a big spot. Like, cool. I'm absolutely down with that. You know what I'm not doing? Putting him in a match that goes 45 minutes and his war games. I mean, it was just well, it's again, too you, much. You're not it's relying on him there. You have seven other individuals to carry that thing in 45 minutes. Now, I do like what you said there, making him a manager. I would see I'd see you there. I'd up the ante. I would consider him making him the general manager of SmackDown. Oh, that would be great because I don't watch SmackDown. So that that well, would be perfect. And, and you use it more in a, you know, apparently role where it's not each and every week where you have him dominating every segment. I would use him more as that regal, but you bring in that big personality. Again, we're talking about that crossover appeal, that crossover promotion. You know, what better, especially right now, is you're going to see a start, you know, a surge in the ratings for the NFL. You start that more of that crossover. You bring in Mac B. Oh, he's also he's running our, our wrestling show too. I can see it. I can see it. And then I almost think at this point with undisputed era, what is there left in NXT for them? Yeah, no. Do we were saying that a year ago? Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I know, and I've seen some conversations in a couple different of the different circles that I'm checking out. You know, see what see what the fans are thinking and what the pulse is. You know, the conversation could they break up? Should they start feuding with each other inside of NXT? I think right now, if we're going to see if if these four, if this Fab Four, if they have any true value, it has to be together as a group until they are well established on that bigger stage. And I know it's it's hard for a lot of people to hear. Oh, NXT, it's one of the hottest things. It's not. No, it's not the big stage. It's the red or it's the blue. I think Raw would probably be more their style, especially if if they were to follow and are suggesting and making McAfee the GM of SmackDown. I think you keep them separate, but they have to stick together, get themselves established in that fashion, and then down the line you potentially start playing with the ideas of in the same fashion that you saw things with the Horsemen back in the day. And I think, and really, it's it's not rocket science. You've got the NFL, not the NFL, you got the WWE network right there. You own it. Right. Go back and watch, you know, how the horsemen were handled and just mimic that. You know, it's so funny, man, because people have like this affection for the horsemen, right? Like, even like the newer generation has this affection for the horsemen. But it's not the horsemen that we know and we love. Like they remember like 97 horsemen, you know, like when JJ wasn't with them anymore and Mongo McMichael is a fucking horseman. And they're like, you know, kind of tweeners. We're not really sure how we feel about the horsemen, but it's like, man, I remember like, you know, in, in the early mid eighties where it was like the horsemen were like the fucking bullet club. There was so much goddamn interference going on and all this other crazy shit. And, they, they just, they don't remember that version of the Horsemen. It's crazy to me. When did, what was that last great Horseman group that you remember? Or when did it kind of get out of control for you? Oh, boy. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I am going through and I'm watching like 96, 97. And 
the, the thing for me is Mongo. Like, and, and Mongo was absolutely like the tipping point with the horseman for me. Um, I had completely forgot that they even let Jeff Jarrett be a horseman for a little no, while. He was, he was just an associate. No, no. He, at this was, point, Arn Anderson is out on injury at this point, And uh, Jeff Jarrett is like full blown fucking horseman, even though him and Mongo absolutely fucking hate each other, which is absolutely hilarious to me. I don't know, man. It, you know, going even further, even going further back. Yeah, Jared's had some bad situations with uh, with colleagues and women, hasn't he? Yeah, isn't that the fucking truth? Uh, but even going back, like I really loved when they when they added Barry Windham. Yeah, I love that move. He just fit that role for me. And yeah. then I remember even feeling a little turned off because it just didn't feel right when Sting and Luger were involved. Well, and like the whole Sting thing was all a ruse to begin with, right? Yeah, you know, they're they're trying to just manipulate him here, but right. I still just remember being but kind like, of turned S- off by it at the time. Yeah, Sting with the Horseman, like that that on no level does that make any kind of logical sense to me. You know, like it just doesn't fit. And then, of course, you know, many years later, we would see Sting in the main event Mafia, and I can just you know picture like if Sting was gonna like fit into the Horseman, that's the version of Sting that we would have had to have in the well, Horseman. He didn't even fit in that. I mean, it was supposed to be a group of heels, and Sting, Sting refused to do it, so he's still <laughs> playing a baby. Yeah, but then you know, I, I do. I, I started getting back into the idea of the Horseman. It really turned me back on. I I loved when they were out getting, when the potential of not so much Benoit in there, but I I love the idea of Pillman and Malenko in there. You know, Benoit fit. Like Benoit, like everything about Benoit fit the Horseman. Like I, I, I love to shit all over Chris Benoit. I can't enjoy Chris Benoit matches, even though like I'm, I'm like balls deep in his feud with Kevin Sullivan, which I should be interested in, you know, like given circumstances. But I just, I kind of zone out. Maybe go smoke a cigarette while Benoit matches are on. I just can't do it. Can't do it. But in, in that time, in that moment. Benoit felt like a horseman. Malenko absolutely felt like a horseman. I'm starting to see the beginnings of that. I don't know. It, you're right, though. At a certain point, though, it just kind of went off the rails. We talk about Sting. Of course, Sting broke the fucking internet over the course of our, our last week here. When Sting showed up on AEW TV's Winter is Coming. And, Rick, I don't think this was good. I, I, I don't think this was good at all. And... I understand why people marked out. I marked out. It's fucking Sting. Like, that's my childhood, walking onto the television set in 2020. It's fucking Sting. The negative is, here we are almost a week later, and Sting is still the lead story, and you changed the AEW World Heavyweight Championship on this show. But all anybody wants to talk about is 61-year-old Sting coming out and just fucking looking at people. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for AEW. I think what was good, and again, this brings up a, a bigger issue inside of AEW. Uh, yeah, absolute pop. It, it got people talking about pro wrestling. People were excited. Was anybody in the history of the world ever, ever happier than Tony Schiavone when Sting walked out onto that fucking stage? I, I actually, I, I really enjoyed his call of it. It felt like that he actually found something to be excited about. Do you it, think he so knew? Often, it wouldn't surprise me if they literally kept that from Tony Schiavone just so that you would get that reaction. As our good friend uh, William Alicia was was sharing some of the details behind that, not very many were in the know. 
you know, there had been the rumblings, the rumors and all that of a potential deal being struck. But with Sting even making his way to that arena that night, not many individuals knew. There was just a small group. They snuck him in backstage and he was really only spotted. The match was underway before a lot of people even saw him kind of, you know, just wandering around backstage, getting ready at the gorilla to make his way out there into the arena. Absolutely an incredible pop a moment. They knocked it out of the park there. But since, you know, we regularly get on WWE about it, right direction, but completely missing the mark. Yeah, no, I agree uh, with in, that. In their delivery and even inside the moment, as I'm watching it in real time, uh, over on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group, if it's on Twitter, a few different just private chats that I'm in, it, uh, my first thing, you know what I'm saying is, Man, they just they just completely missed the booking on this incredible moment. And for me, I feel like Team Taz is. We might as well just throw it in the trash. That is done, right? I mean, when when you when you got Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, and you've got Brian Cage, and you've got Taz, and they tuck their tail in between their legs and bolt out of there as fast as they possibly can because a sixty-one-year-old man in face paint walked out onto the stage. Like, you're done. Like, they're completely buried to me. But I did like what happened with Arn, Cody, and Darby because just watching that, I can tell you the story of what's going to happen. Well, it goes back to what we're talking about with Pat Patterson. What is everybody's role? Is everybody working towards the same goal? You know, what would each individual do instead of just looking for that one big payoff? They were they were so worried about getting to that moment, that stare down, especially between Sting and Darby, that they just completely alienated everyone else that was around them. And in doing so, yeah, you're right. They just killed momentum behind Team Taz. Oh yeah, they're but done. From, from done. the from from the absolute get go here, you know they they. T- that they lost this match is ridiculous to me. They could have stolen this thing, you know, just to really establish themselves as these dirty bastards. You don't have to have Darby as your champ taking that pin. You know what, you know what it would have meant for for Starks or Hobbs to grab, steal a pin over Cody? Right. And it's not going to hurt Cody in any way, especially no. if it's by crook. Especially in a tag match. Nobody cares. Yes. And then you've got those guys down. And then as Cody's there kind of just, you know, laying in his misery, then you have the group turn their attention to to Darby, which they did. You know, they had the post-match beatdown. And then you have Sting come out and make the save. But you have Cage and Hobbs especially. They want to go back in there and get a piece. I, I could see maybe to help sell the effect of it because, you know, because Ricky Starks is kind of more, he's your younger, maybe more naive. Maybe he would have been that little stinger where he's a little bit in awe, but but you have Taz is the coach saying whoa 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 you know he right you don't know what he's capable of believe me I know this we'll live to fight another day we just you know we got the win we just laid him down we'll live to fight another day have Taz back his boys up then you go on with your moment then you haven't completely killed the momentum you got with Team Taz right now you can throw them out the window yeah yeah just th- throw them in the trash absolutely killed them. Uh, what I did like, so Sting gets in the ring, and immediately we go to the Horseman versus Sting, right? Sting goes over, has a nice little stare down with Arn Anderson. I thought that was great. Sting goes over, has a little stare down with Cody, right? And immediately I have this story in my fucking head, right? Cody absolutely believes in Darby Allen. How Darby Allen is the guy who beat Cody for the TNT Championship. 
They're calling him the face of TNT now, Darby Allen, right? He needs a little bit of guidance, though, because the kid's kind of fucking crazy. And Arn's like, Cody, I can't do that. Like, I, I, I cannot take Darby Allen under my wing. Like, I, just, I don't understand this kid. But I know a guy. And Cody's like, make the call. And so Sting comes in and he stares down Arn Anderson and he stares down Cody and he's like, you guys asked for this. All right. Where is he? And he goes over and he's like, oh, so you're him, huh? The Avenger, the killer of killers. Not so sure about the face paint, though. It's a quote from the crow. Rick, I the sting is a manager for Darby Allen. Does that work for anybody? It just doesn't feel like the sting character to me. Well, it, it again, you know, in that mentorship role, it just seems really off. And I and I don't necessarily know if I need Darby Allen as a Robin right now, because that is the really the dynamic that I get. You know, he becomes this boy wonder. And another issue with AEW, how many times are we do we have to just recycle and retell the same stories? How many mentorships do we need inside of AEW? Because none of these individuals really feel like managers to me. When we talk about the return of a traditional manager, they, they just as again where they've kind of missed that. None of these feel like Bobby the Brain Heen, and they don't feel like Jimmy Hart or, or Slick. No, this feels much more Jake and Lance than it does like a team Taz kind of thing. Like, I don't think we're going to have like a team staying. Well, right. And and that's no, but even inside this mentorship, like you've got the coach. Yeah. None of these guys feel like a a true traditional manager to me. It's almost as if they really don't know what to do with them. They don't necessarily need these individuals there, but for namesake and nostalgia purposes, we have to run all of these old timers out. And I think it, it, I think it shows a little bit that the lack of direction it shows in the performance that you get and the delivery that you get from some of these old timers. You can sell where they're phoning it in. It's totally out there on that mic. Sometimes you, you can just tell they, they give me what you want me to say what. And he's just trying to ramble through this, and it, it just comes across in the programming. And the other fear with Sting is Sting is such a star, and make no mistake, Sting is a star that he dwarfs everybody else on the show immediately by even being in their airspace. He made Cody feel small, just sitting there looking at him. He didn't even say anything, just sitting there looking at him. And it was just like, yeah, Cody's not that big of a star. You know, like he just dwarfed him. It it truly speaks to the, or lack of true star power on that roster. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I I mean, I mean, it'd be interesting to maybe see something with Jericho, but right now I, I think, you know, Sting, I mean, what do he goes out there and sets, it wasn't even 24 hours and he set the one day record for pro yeah. wrestling. Tees. Yeah. He's fucking sting. I mean, he's fucking sting. He's like number six for the year already. It's insane. <laughs> T-shirts available for a week. It's insane. Uh, and I, I do want to hand it to him on that one. As we look at this thing from a marketing standpoint, you have Sting out there with that. It, it, it looks cool. A, an awesome looking new shirt. They're immediately available. People know to where right to go look for them. Merchandising, this is going to be huge for AEW. I, I know they immediately come out. I didn't like this too. Uh, it, we got to have Tony Khan, again, the money mark. We got to show him his praise. You immediately go to the news that he assigned Sting to a multi-year full-time gig uh, but i would like to see the details on that yeah. I mean, again we're talking about what is his role going to be you know I, I 
do we really want to see Sting wrestle outside of maybe two or three more times? I if, don't even want to see that. If it's doable, I know there's been talk about maybe the cinematic approach is what Sting was really interested in with WWE before he really felt kind of slighted by them. Oh, well, come on. Sting and Taker. If you're going to do a cinematic match, I mean, for the love of fucking God, just give us Sting and Taker. I mean, everybody has clamored for that match for literally an entire generation of people at this point. Everybody but one. Yeah, everybody but one. Happens to be the one that matters. Kenny won the title. Nobody's talking about it, but, you know, Kenny Omega won the title. Uh, maybe they'll start talking about it here in a, in a couple of hours when Kenny makes his appearance on, on fucking TNA Impact or Impact now, see, Wrestling, I, I whatever. Thought, you know, obviously, Sting, you know, the Sting move, that's going to get the spotlight. I don't really like that they were so close to each other inside of the show. I wish there was a little bit of they, room. They shouldn't have done those, these digest. two things on the same show. They, they, they you know what? I, I'm a... I'm on the fence with that. I'm okay with it. They wanted to hit a major home run. Now, what I didn't like is that in other segments, they're trying to advance all these different storylines as well. I mean, we should have had those two big talking points coming out of this thing. Cause absolutely you're, you're, you're worried here that people are overlooking, you know, what went on with, with Kenny and the title and taking off with it, which, which I think is exciting inside of itself. It's got some people buzzing, but anything else on that show is greatly forgotten. So, you know, what was going on there with Thunder Rosa gone? Uh, there was a few inner circle. That, yeah, with the inner circle. Yeah, I mean, we have that big segment where going into this week's program, you know, they, they had the big ultimatum if they're going to get along or they're going to split up. Oh, they, they were doing too much. Every segment AEW tries to end with that damn cliffhanger going into next week. It goes back to, you know, to the blueprint that Bischoff regularly talks about. One you and want a half things. One and a half things per show. And leave people talking about that, wanting more going into the next week. Uh, I thought that, you know, in the main event, the match with Mox and Omega was a little overrated, that people were a little too si excited about that. I thought it was good until that stupid fucking chair spot. Like, Kenny does a springboard off the top. Mox catches him in a paradigm shift. Kenny Omega's dead. Rather than going for a pin, Moxley goes out, gets two chairs, sets them up in the ring, and they have a fucking slap fight. Like, I was fine with the match up until there. Up until there, I thought it was really good. And then the whole fucking thing just fell apart. I think what really got me is one mic shot did more damage than, like, what, five V-triggers? Well, didn't he hit him with the mic and then he like V-triggered him like four times and then hit him with the one-winged yeah, angel? I think, yeah, uh, but I guess the overall, you know, the payoff in the end, I've been, you know, I've been watching Impact on a regular basis now. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's it has, it, it's got a tie spot. It, it's got some tremendous, uh, you know, momentum going behind it. But then it, it does really just dip into that silliness. It, it was almost to the point where I was almost viewing before this alliance or whatever they're going to develop between them here, Impact Wrestling was walking that fine line of how I've always saw Lucha Underground, where it was a sci-fi show that happened to have professional wrestling involved in it. What the, I think the last thing I even saw out of Impact was the whole Johnny Swinger getting shot thing. I saw that and I was like, nope, yeah. I'm done. Like, I, I don't even care now. Like, I, I kind of kept an eye on it peripherally, 
you know, but after that, I was like, nope, I'm done. Well, and it's all true, you know. It's and you would have you would have loved that if you'd seen that Lucha Underground because I mean there was deaths there and you know people being, but, but it's in the it's in the presentation. It fits the structure, right? Absolutely. And to me, that's like you need to define yourself. What is your direction? Who yep. are you? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even the way that they presented it, you know, if you would have seen that in Lucha Underground, you're going to get that. It's a seriousness. You're you're getting that cinematic feel that you have seen this in a big, you know, Marvel or DC action movie. Yep. Where theirs came off as, I don't know, like Team Disney or something like, you know, just. Welcome to Intermission. Yeah, Intermission. I'm here. No. I think I lost you there for a second. No, I just stopped talking. Oh. For I thought you I thought you were doing something on your phone. I I am. I was looking something oh. up for the next part of the segment and then you oh. just like stopped talking and I was like, "Oh, did I lose him?" No, I just said Teen Disney or something. That yeah. was the end of my thought. No. Oh. Well, they they I'm looking for this tweet. I'm looking for this tweet from our friend John Bruno. That's what I'm looking for. Hmm. Well, just plug in when you start reading the tweet. Because, <laughs> you know, I've been accused of a lot of things. But I think this might be a first. I, got, I saw this tweet like yesterday, Rick. You guys went from bashing AOC to promoting a socialistic relief program in two weeks. And my first thought was, wait, when did we bash AOC? I mean, I, I not that I don't bash AOC. I take every opportunity that I possibly well, I, can. I was going to say, you know, when I when I saw it there, it was no surprise. As I was <laughs> thought to myself, when don't I bash AOC? But it, it, accusing me of supporting a socialist program, and and then I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And I had to like really stop and think about it until it occurred to me that he was talking about our interview last week with our friends from Adopt a Server USA, and it's like, wait a minute, no. No, th- th- this cannot stand. I have to respond to this. There, there, there is a very clear difference between a grassroots charitable movement and a government-mandated socialistic fucking agenda. Like, no, these are not the same thing. This is not the same thing at all. Well, I know I've seen it because I replied to it. Re- read the tweet again here. You guys went from bashing AOC to promoting a socialistic relief program in two weeks. And that was from our, our friend John Bruno. John Bruno, Bruno. 101. Bruno. John Bruno, yeah. Hey, hey, you know, again, hey, just shout out to, to Bruno there. Uh, he gives us great feedback. Yeah, but yeah, we got to shit on him now. Like, you, you can't oh, call yeah, me now. a socialist and just expect to get away with it. Absolutely. And even he was trying to disguise it, you know, in a, in a follow-up tweet. Well, I'm just pointing out the, the diversity of the show. <laughs> no. 
Well, now now we need to point out to you the major differences between something that is being strong-armed upon our society, the taxpayers, the good people of the United States by Big Brother government, and what is obviously a a wholehearted, feel-good charity movement. Well, and, and the thing about the Adopt-A-Server USA program that I like so much is they are just putting people in touch with one another. You know what I mean? Like, this is not like some giant nonprofit organization that has, you know, sprouted up out of nowhere with complete government tax write-offs. And we will assign, you know, a a specific server to, you know, this specific family and it's going to cost you this much money. And no, it's not like that at all. It's not one of those for a cup of coffee a day or, you know, uh, the Goodwood, Goodwood. Goodwill Industries, where you've got regional managers, you know, making anywhere from eighty to a hundred thousand dollars a year. No, this is some people that that saw a reason, that saw a need, that are actually experienced in you know some of these heartaches that just wanted to put people together and connect people that could potentially help one one another out of their own free will. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, come on. Come on. Can't let that stand. Let's get at us, John. You know how to find us. Well, and I think, you know, what we even kind of talked about it, you know, post-interview last week. And again, you can find them on Facebook at Adopt-A-Server USA. It's a private group there. They'll let you in. You, you have servers, food service industry workers from all over the country that that might be in need of if if it's bills of its food non-perishable or if it's even just you know putting something under the tree for their family for the holidays you can help out there again it's adopt a server usa on facebook but when it comes to charity inside of itself when we talked about what's so amazing you know you always want to talk about oh people don't want to give they're so evil you got these different classifications, social classes that don't want to take care of one another. No, that's not the issue at all. We're very charitable as a society. We're very giving. We want to help build others up and take care of each other. The issue comes in is when you have these government agendas trying to push their persuasions and how they view you should be acting as an individual and mandating that you give to certain directions. That's the issue. If the pandemic has proved anything, it's that Americans don't like being told what to do. You know, I mean, don't tell us what to fucking do. Like we will be happy to do everything that we can to do the right thing, but don't fucking tell me what to do. Like I got freedom and shit, you know, like, no, don't tell me what to fucking do. You can tell you can tell me what I can do to help, and I'll be happy to help if I can. But don't fucking tell me what to do. Hey, and I think that's really it, that's a tremendous point that you bring up, Jargo. When we talk about the flaws in how, if it be on a federal level, on a state to just even you know regional town, whatever it might be, how a lot of these governments have handled these regulations and mandates involving COVID, they they really went on the the attack yeah, and in that big brother mentality, instead of really explaining a situation and trying to uplift and rally individuals, 
And I've regularly said when you are when you're out there trying to to get support behind a cause and you're you're trying to to rally people behind your beliefs, the most important thing you can do is to educate and inspire. You don't want to try to bully and force your views on on others because then you're just going to get this tremendous backlash. And it's just not that we've seen here in the last couple of months. It's just not the COVID. You've seen it if, if it's between the conflict between law enforcement and Black Lives Matters. Uh, if it's between different you know, social classes, big corporation and small business. We're losing this connect where instead of uniting individuals and explaining and giving suggestions about what we can do to improve these situations, they're just trying to f- just forcefully you know, push these different tactics on individuals. You're going to get this backlash. That's not the American way. Yeah, no. Don't tell me what to fucking do. You know, I mean, that that really that should be the American motto right there. Don't tell me what to fucking do. Print it, baby. T-shirts, T-shirts USA. You bet, dude. You you know how many of those T-shirts we would sell? Just put like the American flag and don't fucking tell me what to do. Underneath of it, we'd sell a fucking shitload. Old uh, Uncle Sam up there flicking middle the middle finger. Exit strategy sixty seven. Don't fucking tell me what to do. All right, Huckleberry. One last thing that to wrap up my weekend update. That's basically become like the entire episode. We got to talk about online school because I, I I got a phone call this weekend that was rather concerning because of the COVID thing. Sydney has been stuck in virtual learning and she was taking college classes, college classes get canceled. So then she doesn't get credits for those college classes. And then dealing with the online school, like there's a very real possibility that she is not going to graduate this May just because of the stupid numbers of fucking credits that is required, even though those classes weren't offered to her. So she ended up losing a bunch of credits through no fault of her own because of the stupid fucking pandemic. And it's just headache after headache after headache with these online schools. And I, what I could not wrap my head around is the fact that like justice is doing fine with hers Quinn's doing fine with hers and like Sydney is really struggling. Some of their friends I'm seeing are, are really, really struggling. And then I come to find out they're not doing the same thing. Sydney is doing what is called virtual learning while justice and Quinn are doing remote learning. And there's a difference in those two. And I guess I never actually knew this. So Justice and Quinn, they have to be online. They have to log in at the same time every day and their teacher is there and they go through and they have their classes and et cetera, right? With Quinn, it's the same teacher all day. With Justice, she gets little breaks here and there because, you know, she's in middle school and they change teachers for the different subjects. With Sydney doing this virtual learning the senior, she just logs in and it's basically a videotaped fucking lecture and here's your assignment, now do it. There is no engagement with these kids in this virtual learning situation. And so her mom is freaking out. 
And her mom calls me freaking out. And so we sit down and probably the best conversation that me and my ex-wife have had over the course of the last 10 years took place over the weekend for this. Because it's just, we're both, everybody's kind of at their fucking wits end, right? But one of the things that she brought up is Sydney keeps telling her is she feels like she's just been abandoned in this entire thing. And Rick, there's no support. There's no support from the schools because the schools don't necessarily have anything to do with the remote learning. The people that are giving these lectures, Sydney has no idea what they, who they are. Like it's not her regular teachers because she's in a school district that's so, so they don't have the budget for that. But especially the seniors this year, the freshmen this year, college freshmen this year, they feel like they've been left behind because they're getting treated like fucking guinea pigs here with this entire goddamn system. Everything that they have known, their entire academic career, they've been expected to just throw out the fucking window and now do it this way and shut up, slave. And never mind if you're getting fucked over in this thing. Guess what? Welcome to the real world. People are getting fucked over left and right. But these seniors in particular, I couldn't imagine this being my senior year. But Rick, we're going to have like an entire like two, three years here because of this pandemic that is going to change our education system fundamentally. Harvard came out with a new study here just the other day that student scores are down 7%. And switching to online learning engagement is way down. Like these kids, they, they need to be in school. The Harvard study that is at the high school level, correct? Correct. I, that's, that's the same one. I, I think maybe I sent that to you or maybe seen when I was looking at there. It might, you, you, it might be the one that you sent to me. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is, I mean, and that's across the board as we're looking at what we've seen here in the early, the, the first quarters semesters and you know one and a half here really heading into the turn of the year you're seeing a significant amount of these students really struggling under these new situations and Jarko, i didn't really realize how much of an issue it is in just the different styles that are being presented to these different districts and as they're trying to adapt and figure out what's you know what is going to work best for and as you said you know just not the situation or you know maybe how widespread, you know, what the concern is of the spread of COVID in an area, but just financially what they can support. Well, and and here's the thing that's driving me nuts. The CDC has come out and said that schools should be open. Dr. Fauci has come out and said that the safest place for these kids to be is in school. And yet we keep shutting down the schools because there's a surge in cases. There's not a surge in, you know, people actually getting sick. Hell, Iowa is down 41% over the course of the last week. But there, that, that surge in cases is still, we got to keep the schools closed. Why? You tell me to trust the science. The fucking scientists are telling me, open up the goddamn schools. Our, our kids are struggling here. What we're doing, it's not working. And the problem is exactly what you said. It's different everywhere. It's... It, it is different inside of the city of Cedar Rapids. Depending on what school your child goes to, you're either doing virtual learning or remote learning. And shit, I've been doing this for six fucking months now, and I just found out there's a difference between the two the other day. And it really took down, you know, looking at just not the grades, but the mental state of your children. 
to to figure out okay there's a there's something different going on here in the different styles of how these you know how this new learning system is being presented to the different girls uh, as I can sit here and just go through my Facebook feed right now just trying to pick up you know if I can see any of my friends that are educators you know if they're sharing anything here and again just right here in southern Ohio where we might have a dozen or so school districts uh, all within driving range of each other, you know, they're going at this different here. You've got Oak Hills, which is one of the larger public schools here in Ohio, their districts, they're getting ready to switch everything back to, to some sort of virtual classroom. Now, I don't know if that's going to fall under the, the virtual classroom that you're explaining or the remote learning system here. Uh, I've got my nephew up the street in just, in the northern part of Cincinnati and Butler County, the Fairfield schools where they continue, uh, they do have their, their fallback plan in case that they would need to go back to the, the online classroom. Uh, but they're continuing on They're They're going every day simply because when they, they have tried to experiment and dabble a little bit inside of that online learning experience, they're, they're, they're not liking the results they see. They know that they're not providing the ultimate educational experience that these kids need. No, in no way, shape, or form. And I, I think this is going to be a long-term problem at this point. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll try to keep you updated. but Well, and, you know, as we're talking about this here, it, 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 the stress, it, and it's on all levels. You know, it's just not at the senior level. I, I imagine that, you know – I. That's part of the problem, Even, too. Like, Sydney is frustrated out of her freaking mind with this entire process. Of course, her mom is also frustrated with this entire... And they just they projected each other. And so then all they do is fight. Well, and, and you don't have, you know... Even outside of just and what is most important is what you're actually learning. The, the education that you're retaining here. Obviously, they're falling short. They're failing in reaching those goals under these different circumstances. Uh, but you know, also what is so important about physically going to school is the interaction, the socializing. I mean, it's how you build, how you're going to interact in society itself. And you mean you don't get that from a pre-taped lecture? You don't have, well, you don't have your clubs. You don't have your teams. You don't have that camaraderie. You don't have your friends. You don't, you don't really fully understand, you know, what it means to just be able to sit in that lunchroom for a half hour each and every day with those individuals. Right. And, and you're completely losing all of that. And I know there'll be those naysayers out there, you know, well, it's, this is the process here. We, we have to learn to adapt. To, to me, that's not a real solution. And especially, again, you, we talk regularly, we hear it every day, no matter what, no matter where you live, no matter what marketplace you're in, you continue cases, cases, cases. You take your cases and you can turn them sideways and you can stick them, you know, where, because you're not getting down to the actual stats and facts behind this thing. Well, and it's it, the, the way that Sydney's school is functioning is very much like the COVID cases thing. Like they don't care if she's getting a B in the class. We care more about how far through the class are you. We care more about your percentage of completion than we care about how you're actually doing in the class. It's fucked. So fucked. Well, it, it, you know, what's, what's also sad on that, too, is at least, you know, here, 
you know, you and the ex, her mom, you're, you're trying to work towards a solution together. You're caring parents. Sadly, again, we, we can't find a blanket answer that's going to work for every situation because you don't have that. You know, this past weekend, I was talking with a good friend of mine who's a teacher and uh, it's not with a city public school, but she's with public schools. And, and, you know, a lot of them don't come from, I don't want to say that, you know, they're, they're poverty stricken, but maybe not, you know, where the best home lives, they, they don't have all that structure there. And it's about getting the involvement. You know, now more than ever inside of this education system, the, the, the teachers, the administration, they're relying on those homebodies to help push these kids towards wanting to learn, you know, towards getting involved. I know that is a major issue is just having some of these students doing it, no matter what style it is, even completing their work, taking any interest in this thing. Yeah, it's the engagement. That's the problem. They're not engaged in what's going on. Somehow we got to fix that. And I, I think, you know, it would, you know, maybe over the course of the next week, I know we got a lot of holiday special stuff coming up. Maybe we can reach out to try to get somebody. What's really interesting, or maybe our listeners out there, we've been getting, I tell you, since we, we've retooled everything, the evolution of the Hitting Marks podcast, some just tremendous feedback. You know, if anybody out there has some ideas on, you know, how can we get back to the basics of education to help rebuilding the system here? And and moving towards the future, so that we're not having these students, these 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 youths, losing out on what, what is so important in their development, in how they're going to contribute towards society here. One of the benefits that that I do like about this thing, because I I see both of these, as you know, I'm, I'm still going through school here. I have both. I have the virtual classroom, where we are engaging with a live teacher. I'm in there with the other students. You can chat directly with them. You, you can interact in groups. We have different pods that we split off in. And then we have the remote learning where, yes, it is. You just sit down. You watch pre-recorded lessons. You do a quick little quiz on that thing. Well, even at, you know, at school, they had given us for our first block. This is back in, let's see, in March when I got going into this thing. For that first block of remote learning. That was supposed to take us up to this week in December. I finished mine months ago. Right. You said you did yours in all in like two weeks. Yeah. I did it about you know, 10 to 14 days. I got everything done because I just sat down and just went through it. But a, a lot of the reason I did that is because they weren't really clear on what the expectations there were. So I just right. said, hey, I got to, let me get this out of the way because they're probably going to throw another load of these on here in a couple of weeks. And they were completely shocked. Uh, but again, there was no interaction and there was there were some of those courses where there was a little bit of struggle because there wasn't someone to ask a question where if something really wasn't clear cut inside of the pre-recorded seminar or maybe there was miswording inside of a question. There was a couple of things that I struggled on there simply because you didn't you didn't have that interaction. Yeah. You couldn't raise your hand and ask a question. And, and you know, they have their their message boards and all that. But I mean, that's not the same. No. No, no, in no way, shape, or form. These fucking kids ain't learning anything. Got to figure out something. Got to figure out something. Uncle Barry, I'm going to skip over the entire middle part of the show because we're already like an hour and a half in. Just go ahead and jump to HTM Sports because I do want to talk <laughs> some what? boxing with you. I, I was going to say, do you want to throw it to the break and then we'll just come back to sports? We can just leave this stuff for later. Okay, yeah, 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 let's do that. Let's go ahead and take a break. I'm going to go refill my water. I'm starting to get a little... <clears throat> 
itch in the throat. All right. Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll come back for sports. All right. Ho, ho, happy Hameen holidays. As 2020 winds down with over 2.2 million downloads, the Hameen Army marches into 2021 with sights set on 3 million downloads and beyond. We'd like to thank you, the listeners and sponsors, for following and supporting us on all of Hameen Media Group affiliate channels as we continue to provide the very best variety of entertainment anywhere. Pro wrestling, movie reviews, TV show reviews, news, sports, conspiracy, and satire. We have everything for your listening or viewing pleasure. Add Hami Media to all your favorite audio and video platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Twitch, and YouTube are just some of the many ways you can get your fill of all of the HMG content. And speaking of getting your fill, if you're cooking this holiday season, there's only one olive oil to use in all your delicious, delectable dishes, Zordos Artisan Greek Ultra Premium Olive Oil. This olive oil is not only the perfect ingredient for your festive feast, but Zordos Olive Oil makes the perfect gift for any foodie or fan of fantastic food. Head over to ZordosOliveOil.com and taste what the term ultra premium means. Now, after a good meal or to kickstart your morning, what's better than a cup of bro, bro? The Coffee Brosters Russo's brand coffee is better than your average cup of joe, bro. When checking out at thecoffeebrosters.com, use the promo code BRO5LB for a special price on a five pound bag of Russo's brand coffee. This deal is too good to pass up on, bro. Did somebody say deal? Well, Stevie Richards and ForceUSA.com have a deal for you. Are you looking to build a better you? How about the best custom home gym you can imagine? ForceUSA delivers sturdy, innovative and versatile strength training equipment for home gyms and training studios alike. Enter promo code Stevie5 for a special 0% financing offer at checkout. Also check out StevieRichardsFitness.com for a fantastic affordable resistance band training program and yoga program choose from the 12 and 16 week program as well as a dynamic yoga program that will get you ready to burn off those calories after those huge holiday meals if you're interested in a band new you for 2021 and years to come stevie kick start your health with stevie richards fitness.com pro celebrate all of the hami media personalities and independent pro wrestling stars by giving the gift of or grabbing up for yourself the coolest merch any wrestling fan desires again head over to pro and support indie wrestling today hey infidels do you want to become a Hami Media Group operative? Then follow us at Hami Media Group on Twitter and request a link to our private Discord channel. You can also find us on Facebook at Hami Media Discussion Group and interact with all of the HMG personalities as well as joining in on the fun discussions, watch-along events, and games. You can also follow us on Instagram to like, comment, and participate on all of the HMG and Conspiracy Horseman propaganda. Once again, thank you to all of the subscribers, followers, sponsors, guests, producers, and host of Hami Media as we march to 3 million downloads. All of this is possible because of you. <laughs> so, Huckleberry, I, w- I want to talk some HTM sports. We've got like a whole nother show that I, I kind of had planned for today, but you know, hey, that's that's kind of how hitting the marks works, right? But we got we got a couple things we got to talk about. Number one, we got to talk about this goddamn Vanderbilt kicker. This 
this story is driving me fucking crazy. All right. Especially I went and looked at their box score this week. She didn't even play. She didn't even play this week. But, you know, they had a a female kicker come in and kick a a really bad squib kick. And she gets all these claims and, oh, they're so woke. And, oh, isn't Vanderbilt great? They are 0-9. And they lost that game like 45 to nothing. This is a participation trophy of like the utmost participation trophies, man. This is not cool. This is not good. This is not encouraging. This is not women's empowerment. This is bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, going into this thing, and I thought had some time to think about this. Is it's been a little over a week, week and a half that we've uh, this actually transpired, uh, and, and I did want to come in here and actually diminish the accomplishment. Uh, inside of itself, that the opportunity presented itself. She was there to to seize the moment, if you will. She took the ball and ran with it. Uh, that, yeah, that that was a fine moment. Now, the the spotlight, the the platform that this has been placed on is absolutely ridiculous. Just absurd. Have you ever seen? Do you watch Futurama at all? Um, on occasion, we, we syndicated it at the station for a little while. And that's where I saw most of what I saw of it. I never like watched it when it was live or anything. Well, okay. So there, there is an episode where these aliens come to earth and they, they want to open up pizzeria and they need to learn about the, the earth ways and all that, which, you know, in most cases there is good old Americana. And so Fry's going to teach them instead of baseball, they have something called Burns ball or Blurns ball. So they set up a game between Planet Express and the, these alien uh, entrepreneurs, uh, pizza owners. And in it, uh, Layla, who has one eye, has trouble with depth perception, is the pitcher. And she keeps uh, hitting every batter, oh like hitting God. them in the head, knocking them out. So the owner then of the uh, new New York Mets approaches her and asks her to join their, their team because – even in the year 3000, the New York Mets have yet yet to put it together. They're still the laughing stock of of the league as it has evolved. Poor Mets. And, and in doing so, she and Leela kind of, you know, she's putting her, oh, I'm going to be the first woman to ever play professional Blurns ball. And immediately the owner comes out and he said, yeah, but it's pretty much as a publicity stunt. <laughs> you're, you're a freak show. Yeah, and that, that, that's pretty much what this was. And, and I don't, and when, when I say that here, it's not an attack against this young lady uh, that was put in Fuller. Sarah Fuller, I believe, is her name. Yeah. Uh, it's not an attack against her. I hope it's a a moment. I'm sure it's a moment that she's going to remember forever, that she's going to stand out in, in sports lore forever. That's incredible inside of itself. But, but for all of these different outlets to sit here and act as if this is some major breakthrough in the world of, of sports – uh, it's simply not that case there. You, you look at the actual facts behind the situation. It was it was out of necessity that this came about. And I know immediately it, there, there was really no surprise that she only got in for the one play during her debut because that's usually what the Vanderbilt kicker gets. There's not a lot of opportunities for kickoffs as they don't score, and there you don't have you don't score. You don't have opportunity for extra points. So as she goes out there to open this game, I know she she is getting a lot of backlash on what is perceived as a poor kick. It was the kickoff to the second half. Okay, as so she kicked off the second half. 
Yeah, by, by this uh, point, Vanderbilt was already down like 28 nothing. That's why I'm not buying the whole, oh, it, it was a squib kick. You don't kick off the second half when you're down 28 nothing with a squib kick. No, I actually believe that they did have that in there because they knew inside of this moment, it's about that press. They knew what they had their hands on here. This is by design, and it, it might have been more so from administration pressure coming down on them to put her in this situation. It might have been more of it, definitely a PR move. But if you're those coaches, you do have a responsibility to protect your players out there. And in that case right there, there is no reason to sit there and let her open get opened up for any kind of unnecessary physical contact. It, the situation was what it was. She went out there, got the kickoff. Cameras remain on her. You had the you know the big beautiful smile, that happy moment. You got your tons of press out of this thing for a for a program that otherwise we would hardly ever talk about because they stink. Yeah, so you get her off the field. That's I'm guessing. And I, I do want to applaud those coaches if that was the case. That if they were looking out for the best interests of the student athlete. And they did protect her in that situation to make sure that she wouldn't have to get involved in any physicality on the field there. Well, props to Vanderbilt's coaches um, who are interim coaches because they already fired their head coach. So, you know, if you're looking for a job, Vanderbilt's looking for a head football coach. They got all kinds of great press. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that the recruits will just love that. Well, it, to me, what really stood out here is you have these these different outlets, media outlets, whatever the case might be here, they are just going absolutely berserk, going overboard. ESPN was posting about it like every 20 minutes there the day that it happened. To me, and and understandable, I mean, we work in media, we we know exactly how this thing is working there. They're trying to produce, you know, that, that clickable, viewable content. That's going to drive numbers, revenue, whatever the case might be. But you really have to step, step back and take a look in the long run here. If it's more detrimental to when there actually is a cause that should be, you know, that should be very worthy of this overwhelming support. Again, and if you continue it to put out there, oh, it's such an incredible feat that a woman would be able to participate in men's sports and can go out there now and, and should be seen on the same level. Again, you're just, you're just reconfirming that there is a tremendous difference between these two, that, that there is a, a superior movement between men in sports and that there is different DNA and, you know, back, you know, makeup in our abilities and who we are in our system, which kind of throws a lot of the other arguments out the window. Yeah. Sticking with college football, shout out to our boy, Craig Thompson Horsley. Um, he had this idea a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious that is Jim Harbaugh's final fuck you to Ohio State before he gets fired this offseason. Have the Michigan team all come down with COVID, you know, before the big Ohio State game, thus screwing Ohio State out of the opportunity to play in the championship game. And Huckleberry, it sounds like that's exactly what has happened. A big fuck you from Jim Harbaugh to Ohio State. What do you think? Do you think this is legit or do you think this is just Michigan fucking with OSU? Well, you know, in any case, you know, for Michigan, they they can't beat you. Ohio State can't beat you if you don't play them, right? <laughs> there you go. There right? you go. So, and I know this, this might be surprising to a lot of people out there. You know, you know my 
my devotion to the great state of the OHIO. Looking at this whole situation, this is not that Michigan screwed Ohio State. This is not that Ohio State screwed Ohio State. This is that the Big Ten screwed the Big Ten. Yep. When they put into place their regulations for this year's schedule, they set themselves up for failure here. This should be a forfeit. Michigan should have to forfeit the game to Ohio State. This should be a, a, a just a gimme win for Ohio State. Well, it, but then again, you then you go back because Ohio State's lost multiple games. This will be the third game that they have lost. And in one of those games, you could point that finger squarely at Ohio State. You know, you have the head coach who had it. So it doesn't get much bigger than that inside your system. Yeah, so, it worked I mean, for what, Alabama twice. Well, but but you look at the SEC, they are not canceling games. They are postponing. So they're going to go back and look at games that need to be played that are of importance moving forward inside of just their own conference, but what it means in the big picture nationally where you didn't have that with the Big Ten. What a fucking They, they set their table, and it, it's really – it's really hard to, to feel for them right now. Again, though, hey, this ties in perfectly, though, to what we're talking about on the high school level, what we're talking about in elementary schools, seeing on the collegiate level. Yeah. These, these student athletes, these students are getting ready. They are the next wave that is getting ready to enter our society that we hope are going to be positive contributors as we grow forward as a nation, as a world. And they're missing out on some tremendous opportunities here. It goes much deeper than simply, I hear these naysayers, well, it's just a football game. There's bigger things in this world. No, it, it is much deeper. There's a lot more invested here emotionally that, that runs deep down to your core than just financials here or a football game. And that is being taken away from some of these individuals. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. You think, you know, how many, you look at high school, you know, that with your girls, how many activities that they have lost? Uh, my cousin, Logan, who had lost his, essentially got through his football season, but lost wrestling, lost essentially graduation, lost his prom, now going into college. I mean, there's there's a lot of things when you, when you go from high school to college and you go from college up to that real world, you may never play those sports again. Yeah. And you're going to take those memories with you. I, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, as I'm here visiting my hometown of Harrison, Ohio, I'll catch up some old friends. And the amount of time we just talk reminiscing about, you know, the glory days, the camaraderie, what we were able to accomplish, the togetherness, you know, on that field, what that meant to have that common goal, that, that unity. And it's something that you carry with you and it's the fundamentals that that make you who you are as you as you grow through life. And, and those are being stripped from from college on down to, to K. Let's talk some boxing. Uh, you know, Rick, it, 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 it's so crazy. We we talk about Sting and Sting being a huge star uh, I, I and how he just say. dwarfs all of the current talent. My God, Mike Tyson comes out and has a fight with Roy Jones Jr. And now all of the heavyweight boxing stars are like, fuck yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. We've got the senior circuit. I'm surprised you didn't put this in with the wrestling conversation. <laughs> Absolutely, this is what I mean. Is this what we're getting from boxing? And and I'm not I'm not going to fault any of these these former stars, these absolute legends that are coming out wanting a, a piece of the pie here. Again, this isn't this is a boxing problem that they have let their sport deteriorate to this just 
incredibly low standard. And I don't mean that, that we're paying to see these. I mean, just their actual own competition. Curtain Day competition is just so subpar. We have no true stars. I mean, how many active heavyweights can you name? Well, how, at this point, the biggest stars have got to be the Paul brothers, right? Jake Paul and Logan Paul, the, the, the fucking YouTubers. Absolutely. I mean, Fury, right? Yeah. Uh, who, who was the gentleman that he just went round and round about that they're looking to hopefully maybe hook up again at some point? Fuck, I don't remember now. I can picture him. Yeah, I, I, I can't say his name, though. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's an embarrassing short list. And now we're looking towards nostalgia and, and social media acts. Yeah. 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 And, and we're going to kick things off with Logan Paul. You know, we saw his brother just knock out Nate Robinson. And uh, he needs a legend to fight, uh, a legend to come and stick up, you know, for all the old guys and shut this young punk's mouth. And of all the guys, Floyd Mayweather Jr. making the baby face turn to come beat up the big bad heel. What do you think, man? Floyd coming out of retirement to fight a YouTuber. I, I mean, we're getting like this hybrid here of the nostalgia, bum fights, and celebrity boxing. Hell, I was calling for Jake Paul versus Mike Tyson last week, you know, so I, this isn't too far of a stretch. Uh, you just you really have to wonder before we see Vince trying to get back into this. Oh, man. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, and we, we talk about Mike Tyson. Everybody wants to fight Tyson. We got Holyfield wants to fight Tyson again. We got Lennox Lewis is coming out saying that he'll fight Tyson. We got James Buster Douglas actually showed up, and he was like, yeah, I'll fight Tyson too. I'll knock his ass out again. Everybody wants to fight Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. was the top-selling pay-per-view of all of 2020. That is now official. They had more pay-per-view buys than any UFC fight that happened this year. Anything that happened on pay-per-view this year fell to the almighty Mike Tyson. Mike Has Mike Tyson saved boxing again? necessarily that Tyson is he just say boxing is he saved sports and entertainment yeah no doubt I mean, everybody everybody wants a slice of the pie here with Iron Mike I, how old is Mike 50, 51 I think 51 okay so you, I mean you got the biggest draw right now in professional wrestling as a 61 year old you got the biggest biggest draw just not in boxing 50 year old Mike Tyson is he the hottest commodity going in all of sports right now clearly I need the most pay-per-view buys out of everybody to watch to watch a Wiz Khalifa concert and fucking Mike Tyson. Incredible feat there. It, it, bravo to him. Uh, but again, a bigger issue for the sport itself. What fight do you want to see? Do you want you want Holyfield Tyson three? Is that the big money match? I mean, Holyfield's a much bigger name than Buster Douglas or Lennox Lewis. I think Lennox Lewis was a better fighter, but I think Holyfield's a much bigger name. Well, you know, RB Fitness, a huge fan supporter. Uh, what's what's Foreman doing right what's now? What's Foreman up to? Maybe we can get a rumble in the jungle part two. There ain't no COVID in Africa. 
Uh, well, I, I know the Jargo family. You guys are uh, big fans of the Foreman products. You betcha. Use that shit. Like, man, I use my Foreman grill more than any other cooking utensil on the face of the planet. There we go. Now, I, now here's a question for you. Now, if we are going to continue with these exhibition style, do we need to revamp the rules and have like a, a special, I guess, format for this style of boxing so it does look more like a serious competition? Do we go to maybe like five rounds? Uh, is there some kind of hybrid that we can introduce? I don't know. I think I'm going to have to see more fights. I mean, r- really, we've only seen the one fight. and Roy Jones Jr. was gassed. Tyson was not. Tyson looked great, like as far as his conditioning goes. So I, I maybe if I see another fight and, you know, we've got, you know, Holyfield ends up gassed, Lewis ends up gassed, you know, then maybe I could say, you know, yeah, let's go to five rounds instead of eight. But, you know, I mean, they're only doing like two minute rounds to begin with. Well, you know, that's that's easier said than done. Man. Well, yeah, clearly, clearly to get out there and, and you talk about the different fighting styles but in, i'm saying wait, the, wait, who's the anomaly like is tyson the anomaly for being in such good shape or was jones the anomaly for being so out of shape that's what i'm not clear i, on. I don't know if he was out of shape I, I think it's a little column a a little column b there but it, the styles are so different you know jones oh, yeah. is going to burn through so much more energy in his style than Tyson, that's more of that stationary, just, you know, kind of building up, waiting for that that power move. Well, you know, and that was the thing about that fight, as because I've watched it twice now. I watched it live, and I watched the playback of it. Tyson's head speed looks great. His hand speed looks great. His feet, he was pretty much, you know, just kind of standing there. Like, he, he, he didn't have the dancing feet going on, you know? Like, and, and that makes sense that that would be, like, the first thing to really kind of go. But his head speed looked great. His hand speed looked great. But his, his footwork was just not where it needs to be to be a, a legitimate boxer again. You know what we need to do here? We're, we're talking about hybrids. Let's let's get Tyson. Let's get Butterbean. Let's get Shamrock. Let's get the Russo brand on board. Let's let's right that that terrible wrong from all those years ago. Let's go out here and have a legit brawl for all. Dude, get, you know what? You bring that up. They're both still active, right? Give me Ken Shamrock versus Minoru Suzuki. Like, go ahead, straight up shoot fight it. Make that shit happen, Dana. I would watch it. And Suzuki will what? tap that motherfucker out again. Bloodsport. Fuck yeah. The return of Pancrase. You bet. Fuck yeah. Let's do that shit up. Um, we'll, we'll save our NBA COVID talk for next week because we got to talk about California and their ridiculous lockdowns because, you know, that all kind of goes together. But I, I guess let's wrap things up with some more Michigan football. Michigan politicians asking the Lions to hire Robert Sale the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator as their next head coach because he has ties to Michigan. Rick, does that matter at all in a 2020 context? Like this has not been a thing for like 30 years, right? Well, incredibly disappointed to see this story. You let this corporation inside of itself, the Lions handle their own business. I understand if you have the fans out there signing their petitions, they're rallying in support of who they would like to see represent them through the franchise. I'm even okay with a little tongue in cheek, a politician kind of play to the masses and maybe signing and, you know, and giving his support, unofficial support and backing behind that. Uh, when you're going out of your way to, to almost to 
strong arm and really apply pressure to a private business here. A uh, complete joke, especially when you look around. It's Michigan. Does you this surprise every, you? Everything else that they have going on here. Well, and even inside of that, you're not doing the Lions any favor by demanding this thing. If they're both available, which they probably will be. All right. And and I don't even know if, if you could do this with them both being in Michigan. Harbaugh gets fired at Michigan. Is there any way that the Lions just hire him? I don't necessarily think so. Would you rather have Jim Harbaugh or Robert Sale as your head coach if you're the Detroit Lions going into next season? I think I'd rather have Harbaugh. See, I, I would go the other way. Believe me, I, I, I like the choice of Sale there. Uh, I think that's, but there's so many other candidates out of there that you're almost kind of alienated. You, you potentially don't make feel welcome coming in here. You're not letting the process play itself out. I'm also hearing rumors that Stafford might be gone next season. What do you think of that? I kind of took that as in turn with everything else that's happened. It's turned the page. It's time to move on here. Fresh start for him. Instead of trying to come in here and hope you adjust to the system. Well, Stafford doesn't have time for a fresh start. I mean, I think there's still, there's still legs under him. Uh, you're not going to be looking at an extended run, but you find yourself in a right situation. And that doesn't necessarily mean you got to go in and light the world on fire as, as a starter. You put yourself in a nice backup situation. Uh, how crucial it is to have that strong presence sitting behind your starter there. Man, I don't know. And then, of course, you know, the Lions turn around this week, beat the Bears. 34 to 30. Huge comeback. I mean, this is this is basically I was talking to one of my friends who's a big Bears fan last night, and we were talking about all kinds of shit. And, I, and finally, I closed the conversation with, so do you care to tell me how Matt Nagy is still employed today? Like, what the fuck is going on in Chicago? Like, it, it's clear. Everybody's got to go. Everybody. McTitties, Foles, Nagy, general manager. The guy, the guy who cleans up Soldier Field after the fucking game, like get rid of everybody. Like wh- the, the Bears are a mess. The Bears still suck. How many times must we take this disgrace? Another Bears fan throwing insults in our face. The Packers are the greatest team to ever play the game. Even if from time to time they've been a little lame How could you ever love a team with Jim McMahon? Not even Porky Pig was as big a ham They got a reputation that's mostly based on luck The Bears still suck 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 I think, you know, as, as we get into the postseason talk with the NFL, I think that's what's going to be the interesting is this coaches carousel that we're going to see. Oh. I mean, and how much, all, how much can you really put on coaches this year, too? A, I mean, a lot of movers and shakers. Man, it, it, it's going to be a very, very interesting offseason. Especially, like, you know, because you got some teams, like, I don't understand how the Los Angeles Chargers are so bad. I look at that roster, and that roster looks really, really good. How are the Chargers so bad? You would think that like every football coach 
on like th- this hemisphere would be beating down that door saying, I want that job. All of them. Even the guys who have like great jobs, like Bill Belichick should be knocking down the fucking Chargers door being like, I want this job. It's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. Then we also saw the big stunner. Pittsburgh goes down to the Washington professional football team. And suddenly, Rick, I feel like Pittsburgh's in real trouble. because I, I realize they only have one loss. They're still technically in first place because of tiebreakers. But Kansas City also has one loss. And there is no chance in hell Pittsburgh wants to go to Kansas City at the end of January. No way. I agree in a sense with you, but I, I just look at it from a different perspective here. I think if you're Kansas City, you don't want to go to Pittsburgh. I feel much more comfortable at home in that situation than have to go on the road there. As I said, see, I, I do. I feel exactly the a couple other weeks way ago. I think that you're better, you know, road tested. Those road warriors would be the Steelers. Ultimately, what that and I think the bigger issue here that that number one seed has never been more important than it is now. And especially in a season like this, where you're the Steelers and I know Steeler nation, they're really, they're, they're, you know, in their defense, what, you know, what they're yelling at, they had to play three games in 12 days. That's an incredible task to put in front of, of any pro football team. And they got through that there. It, it wasn't pretty. They escaped two and one there. That's, that's the best, you know, that's the best news for them here. What's most important in, in worrying about where you potentially go inside that AFC championship game, not so much. It's that you get that first round bye. Yeah. They are going to need to be rested. Pittsburgh needs that bye a hell of a lot more than Kansas City does. Absolutely. And to me, that that's the that's what's really important in the AFC. Not about where that game's gonna be at. Believe me, it, Time and time again, you see Pittsburgh, they're down and out, especially on the road. They are they are built for it. They are road warriors. If I'm Kansas City, I feel much more comfortable hosting that game than having to go on the road there. Ultimately, for either one of those teams, you just want to rest those legs. And only yeah. one team in each, each conference is going to have that opportunity. The schedule down this final stretch here, we'll say it, it, it does favor Pittsburgh. Uh, they have the, the lighter load ahead of them. But they're not hitting on all their cylinders right now, where it seems that the Kansas City Chiefs, they're, they're damn close to it. When it comes to the NFC, I feel like we could have the same conversation about New Orleans and Green Bay. Zero percent chance New Orleans wants to go to cold, snowy Green Bay, Wisconsin at the end of January. Green Bay going into New Orleans, I feel like chips could fall either way. But there's no way the Saints, especially with Taysom Hill as their quarterback, want to go into Green Bay. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's for the case of the Saints, much like the Steelers, you know, we're, we're we're really looking at who's in that two seed chasing, but it, it it ultimately falls on the shoulders of who's number one, who's in that driver's seat. Can they finish this thing out? And there's a lot of pressure on both of these teams. Yeah. yeah. Any chance that they just bring in Winston? Uh, I, I think you keep riding. I'm going through Jameis Winston withdrawals, man. Like I, I really need me some Jameis Winston in my life. Football is just not nearly as exciting without Jameis. And I, it's, you know, top to bottom, you, you go one through seven and I'm still having trouble getting excited, feeling this, this seven team playoff system, I'm with you. but there's some interesting matchups and it, it's going to be very, 
closely contested to see who's going to grab these spots. Even bad football might not be interesting, but it's certainly something to keep your eye on, even over there in the NFC East. The NFC East. Yeah, talking talking about the, the the shocker heard around the world there with Washington. You know, sitting there trying to co- claim themselves uh, a little piece of that playoff pie. Oh yeah, and the New York Football Giants—they just refuse to die. It's crazy. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the other platform you may not be listening to, whether it be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media online, hackerhameen.podbean.com, hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. Keep up with me across all social media platforms at NotJargo, even though I'm very rarely on social media these days because, you know, social media just pisses me off. But you will be able to find me on an all-new episode of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, which I'm going to be recording here in about 45 minutes after I eat the shit out of some tacos with our friend Mr. John Enright coming over from the Academy, a Star Trek podcast, even though nobody cares about Star Trek. Uh, Huckleberry, anything you want to plug, promote, put over this week? Well, you know, as always, you can keep up with me across all social media at the real RBV, and just continuing as we continue to rock and roll each and every week and find our, our new groove here with the Evolved Hitting the Marks podcast. I know as we get closer to the holidays, I've, you know, got the uh, the feelers out there for for some exciting guests. And we'd like to remind everybody that in two weeks, it's the annual Jargo and RBV Festivus Celebration Show. I, I, I got some things in the works I want to run by it, man. I, I think we can uh, make this our best one yet. I got a couple of ideas, too. So, yeah, we'll have to get together on that. All right, we will talk to you back here, same back time, same back channel, next week, where we get to talk about Chinese super soldiers. Yeah, because we didn't get to that this week. And I really want to talk about that, because it's some pretty cool shit. So we will talk to you then, hittingthemarks.com for now. We're off like a prom dress. Go eat some tacos. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't give up. You're back on